Saturday morning. Lord willing, we'll cover verses 1 through 12 again this morning as we study some of the things that are kind of like the stabilizing component of this book. Things like judgment and warning and witnessing and grace. And we'll see that today as we look at them. Here in verse 1, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be you have, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the first thing we study this morning as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the this thing that the Bible calls judgment. And the world is familiar with this concept of judgment. You know, I don't know where you guys are at in your life this morning. Uh, there might be some of you here today who aren't even Christians. You know, you, you're not really committed to Jesus Christ. You've been kind of living for yourself or lost in this world. And maybe you're here today and you don't know the love that God has for you. You know, well, you know, one of the things I just want to make so crystal clear, even from the get-go, and that is that God loves you, and God has an awesome plan for your life. And, you know, the Bible says that God is willing to leave the 99 and go after the one that he loves. That's the most important thing of all, you know, to make sure that you're a Christian, to make sure that when you die, you go to heaven, to make sure that you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing this morning, and I pray that, you know what, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't know where you stand, that by the end of the day, by the end of the service, that you will receive God's wonderful love for you, that you would turn from your life of sin and destruction and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that's why we're here. That's one of the reasons that we're here. But another reason we're here is to just teach the Bible. You know, you might be here today and you're a Christian, and, you know, some people don't really like this, but we, we need to do this. We just need to give you God's Word. Some people don't really like it when we just teach the Bible. They kind of don't want the teaching. They just want evangelistic messages, and they try to divert us from the thing that God's called us to do. But as we teach the Word of God, then we will become part of the truth, and then the truth will get us. And one of the most important things for us to have in our hearts, to have a, a really good understanding of, is what the Bible teaches us Christians, especially regarding the concept of judgment. Here the Lord says in verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure the plank is in your own eye. The, the Greek word for judge here is the, the word kakrino. And it speaks of passing judgment on the lives and actions of others, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether they're good or whether they're bad. And, you know, it's a real unpopular thing nowadays, the, the concept of judgment. And unfortunately, that misconception has invaded the church to where now the church thinks that it's just absolutely never, ever, ever right to judge. But the bottom line is, is when we come across the scriptures, we need to take a look at the clear counsel of God. And when there seems to be a contradiction, we need to seek a higher view. 
And this is so important for us as Christians to understand. You know, the Lord's lesson, as we see, we'll see even later, is not that a person should never judge. But what Jesus is forbidding here is that self-righteous, unbiblical, hypocritical that's what the Lord is forbidding. When we are self-righteous, when we are unbiblical, when we are hypocritical, that's what the Lord says, I, I don't want you to do. He says, if you do that, if you judge self-righteously, unbiblically, hypocritically, then understand it will come back to bite you. He says right there in verse 2, with the measure you use, it will be measured back And so make sure when you judge that you don't judge self-righteously, looking down on other people. Make sure that when you judge, you don't judge unbiblically. You've got to have scripture support for your position. And make sure that when you judge, you don't judge with that attitude. This is the danger of not forgiving others. And as we look at the church today, I think there's a lot of confusion in this whole area of judging. I've heard it said even to me, Many times people say, don't judge me. They don't like going to churches where people talk about sin because they think the pastor is a judgmental pastor. And so what they do in looking at a scripture like this is they throw out the baby with the bathwater thinking that all judgment is wrong. But you know what? All judgment is not wrong. As a matter of fact, judgment, elements of judgment are necessary for us as Christians. The Lord even said in John 7, verse 24, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. See, if you're here as a Christian and you have the concept that we're not to judge ever, 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 and don't judge me, then you're buying into the lie of the devil. We're not to judge self-righteously. We're not to judge unbiblically. We're not to judge hypocritically, but we are to have Is that good what they're doing? Or is it bad? Is that a wolf? No. We need to make judgments as Christians. We just need to make sure that we do it appropriately. One of the things that's so clear is that we need to make sure that we don't judge non-believers. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5.12, What am I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those God will judge my heart according to like the fruit labor of the land. So, in a nutshell, as we begin this whole concept of judgment, something that's so important and incredibly important, the Lord forbids self-righteous judgment. The Lord forbids hypocritical judgment. The Lord forbids unbiblical judgment. We are not to judge non-believers, nor are we to judge the motives of non-believers. But we are to judge things that are good or bad, people that are good or bad, that we 
I can't judge the motives of a Mormon, but I can judge the message behind the message. Amen? I can't take that witness stand in the courtroom of Christianity and say, that's not right. You know, they're rules in sheep's clothing. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to lead people to Him in love. And this is why you and I really have to have that conscientious regard. We need to judge righteousness, good, bad, man. Are, are they really in conflict with God? And, and as we do this together as a church, we're going to grow as Christians. It's so important that we, we have this conscience. Now, the context here in the Gospel of Matthew begins more along the racial lines rather than the big general lines. And right here, the Lord wants us to get our own lives right first so that then we can genuinely, lovingly, and truly love others. That's what the Lord says there in that why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, here it is. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, it's crazy, and you know, when you look at this right here, and you just, you know, use your imagination for a moment. You've got this guy who's got a big plank in his own eye. And he's trying to help his brother who has a little speck in, in their eye. And that's the picture that Jesus gives right here. That's the hypocritical judgment that he's forbidding. But what does the Lord say? This is what he says. Take the plank out of your own eye. Get your own life right first. So that what? You can now be used by God to go and help your brothers and your sisters. You see, these types of things really do take place in the church. And that judgment is when you see that, you know, brother, that sister, and they're, they haven't been to church for a while, or maybe they're, you know, dabbling with drugs, or maybe they're, you know, on the brink of the bars, and they're doing these crazy things. They're on the Internet. They're watching the pornography sites and all these crazy things that are going on. You see them. They're in the danger zone. And, and so you begin to pray, and, and you get your own lives right. You care for them. You love them. And then what do you do? You, you as the Lord would lead you, you go to them. Why? Because you love them and you want to help them. Unfortunately, what's happened in the church is we, man, we've lost this so much. Oh, don't judge me. Who are you to judge? Oh, I love you. I care for you. I want to help you. I see something going on that looks dangerous and we need to get our lives right with God because you know what we're called to do that as Christians Jesus is called to do what the Savior calls us to do you know this morning when I was uh, I was out in the garage for a while I came back in it was already the light had changed and uh, as I was coming back in the the house um, I, I saw my little dog So um, I said, you know, man, I don't want to go right now. I've got things to do. I'm in a, I'm in a rush. You know, you could get me a cup of coffee. You could let me get a little more on the set. And so what I did was I let him out. I said, oh, he'll be fine. Let him out. He'll take care. He'll get back in the car. And then I was there in the house just pouring my cup of coffee. 
about three minutes later, uh, I heard a bark that was different from Chip. And so I jetted outside. And sure enough, as I walked out there, I saw this big white dog right there ready to come in and, and pounce on my house. And the Lord just convicted me of that. Why didn't you go out there with him when you should have? Why are you neglecting your responsibility? Don't you care for Chip the way you care for yourself? And I know a lot of times people think, oh, you're crazy, you guys are overly protective and things like that, and you know, you're always warning us about this, and you're even warning us about that, that movie, The Golden Compass, and all that kind of stuff, and you guys are getting weird and legalistic, but the Lord has shown me it's better to be safe than to be sorry. It's better to go outside with Chip and to watch over them. That's our responsibility, not just for the pastor or the elders or the overseers, but it's your responsibility as well. Brothers and sisters, three times he uses the word brother. Are you a brother? Are you a sister? Then it's our responsibility to look after them. And that's really what the Lord is saying, that we always go and judge me and we lose the whole says right here, you know, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you take care of business for your brother. And then what I want you to do is I want you to reach across and grab their hand and see this is what the Lord wants us to do as his church, to remove them with awkwardness so that we can then be usable in God's kingdom. You know, when we see a disciple who's distracted or disobedient or repentant, we can help each other by communicating then with words and maybe words of encouragement, reaching out to them with words sometimes even of warning and even having those conversations that show how much you care, even confronting them at times and showing them matters of frustration and disappointment or discussion or difficulty. But see, I just pray that you would know what the Bible says to judge self-righteously, not to judge unbiblically, and not to judge hypocritically, but you are to judge non-self-sufficiently. That's why the Lord is saying, I want you to take care of your brother. You know, one of the things I was thinking of, you know, as the Lord, hopefully, you know, as he adds to the church, he multiplies the disciples. You know, one of the things that we don't have here in this church is what some churches have church membership, and there's reasons for that, and if you have questions about that, we can talk later. But, you know, if you're not here on a Sunday or, or maybe two Sundays or three Sundays go by, you know, we're not here taking attendance at the upper hand of the building. And we're not doing that. But, you know, it, you know, we need to really begin to make each other accountable. Maybe you should make yourself accountable to a brother or sister. And, and you say, you know what, if you don't see me every week or two or three and I, I'm not here anymore, can you be the one to come and just seek them? Because, you know, we need that. We, we need to begin to care. Not like, you know, Cain and Abel. There they were, and, you know, one was gone. And the Lord says, hey, where's your brother? And I see him. I might better choose to get him. to look around and we begin to care for each 
them into our hearts and lives, not just being critical, but loving them, caring for them, wanting the best for them, wanting them not only to go to heaven when they die, but to experience heaven while they live. The Bible says this, Take the plank out of my eye, yet I can take the plank out of my mother's eye. Because you know how irritating a speck can be, huh? I wear contact lenses, and I was going to show you guys how I stick my fingers in my eye and stuff. And, you know, but uh, when something gets in there, they trample them under their feet and turn and carry you away. Unfortunately, not everyone is open to rebuke. We see that many times in the Proverbs. For example, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. And so not everyone's open to rebuke. It doesn't mean we shouldn't always, you know, seek the Lord, God, what should I do? But there are times when they're not open Eventually, he was silent before Pilate. He gave him what he needed to give him. Pilate was not really interested for the right reason, and eventually Jesus was silent to Pilate. We need to have those things and understandings in our heart, this principle that there is a time not to talk. The Apostle Paul knew this principle well. If you read the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 46, it says, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. You know, they had always gone to the cities. They would share with the Jews, but when it became, you know, just rebelliously resistant, Paul would understand this principle. I can't, you know, 
give that which is holy to the gods. I can't give the pearls to the swine. You need to focus on those whose hearts are sensitive, those whose hearts are open. It doesn't do any good. As a matter of fact, it only does you harm. And God will give you the wisdom to do what leads chapter 18, verse 6, it says, But when he had clothed him and blasphemed, he took his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. Turn to me now and live. Why is the Lord saying this? Well, because you know what, you guys? Life, I, I don't know about you, but man, didn't 2007 and the last eight years just pick me up speed? Or maybe I'm going down the wrong path. But time is short, and like I was talking to my daughter on the way over here, and it's kind of like off the subject here, Pastor Andy. You know, there's a lot of Christian music that's not really Christian. It's just neutral. It's not even negative necessarily. It's neutral. It's not edifying. You know, it just kind of, you know, you know, I just found myself, and you pray about this. Well, I don't have really the time to pray about it. Who knows when you're going to die? Who knows what you have tomorrow? Back then, it wasn't like that. The gods and the pigs were considered unclean animals. They would not ever, ever, ever be interested in taking the sacrifice back to I mean, that's all the Lord is saying. It is, unfortunately, not interesting in your life. And it's not what's most important. And only the Lord knows what's important. Be so careful. Don't think, well, God is so patient. And, you know, I was reading some commentaries on this, and one guy, John Stott, he said, you know, I've only had this happen two times in my whole life. And then he was arrested. So God took him away forever. So this is not that common. Sometimes it does happen. And the Bible teaches about judgment, but the Bible teaches about Seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock 
Whatever that means to you, but I just want to encourage you this week, just pray. Let's see what the Lord does this week. You know, but we need to have this in our heart. We need to be passionate and persistent, knowing that the Lord is our Father. We're going to see that when we go into the answers. It's kind of interesting. The Greek right here is to keep on asking. 
on seeking, keep on knocking. And it kind of elevates, it escalates in intensity when you really think about it. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this at your house, but like my daughter Ariel sometimes, uh, or maybe my son, one of the kids will say, Dad, and they'll come to the to the house and they'll say, Hey, Dad, you see what I'm doing? And they do that. Dad! And I'm like, whatever it is, it's a serious joke, so you can't be upset. Next thing you know, they get up from whatever they're doing and they start looking at me and I'm like, what are you staring at? And then when they find the lights on, maybe it's in the garage, maybe same thing the Lord is teaching us right now. We're asking and asking, then it escalates into seeking, and then that escalates into knocking. God, can I come in? I, I really need to bring this to you. I'm going through this, or I'm facing this, or I'm wondering about this. God knows what you're going through. And that's what he's son asks for bread, but does he ask for a fish? And so he asks for a fish, and so he gives him a serpent. Because usually when we ask for fishes or bread, it's almost more of a desire to look at heaven and give the good thing that we have. So learn about submission. Learn about parenting and God is just wanting and waiting to bless your life. You are his beautiful bride, beautiful church, and he wants to do an amazing work in your life. You know, it's been said that if the church is ever to get on its feet, she must first get on her knees. And so we just really simply need to do things God's way. We need to ask and seek and knock. We need to pray persistently. We need to pray passionately. That's why I like to go out into my garage and I can just talk out loud to the Lord. I can cry and no one will interrupt me. I know how serious this prayer is. Is anything too hard for you, Lord? Jeremiah 33 gives you a common verse there. It says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You know, one of the things about the Lord is He's amazing because, you know, you, you read the Bible and the Bible says, well, the Lord already knows what you need. And it's kind of interesting. All those pagan people, He gives them what they need. They need air and He supplies that air. He keeps their heart beating and He'll feed them until the day they die. And He'll clothe them and He'll take care of them and they're not even praying. And He'll do the same for you. But is that enough? Are you content with that? See, there's a difference between the Creator God and the Redeemer God. And as you begin to pray, then different things will come according to the gifts that He'll give you. For example, you're probably going to have food today, even if you don't pray for it. I mean, you might not pray for food, but who knows? Some of you might end up with a better digestive system than the rest of us. And you don't even believe in miracles. But you want to know something? 
if you don't pray for forgiveness, you're not going to get it. See, the good things, this is what we're talking about, that that person would get saved, that I would change, that I would grow. The good things in life, they need to be brought before the king and be tested. They need to see, can I do this? And God will do the miracle. He really will do the incredible wants to show us beyond a shadow of a doubt that he answers prayer and I just want to set before you guys today no matter who you are what you're going through what you're facing that if you ask God you will have the answer you know the reason we're so often defeated in life is because we have too much time on our hands rather than time in prayer it's been said that a day hemmed in prayer is less likely yourself in Jeremiah. When you look back at this region, this month, this year, you can too busy to pray. And God will do it. Seek Him with sincerity. If you want to grow, to grow spiritually. You know, we need to be like Daniel, who would rather spend a whole night in the lion's den than a day To live one day without heartfelt prayer. See, that's where we need to be. Prayer is all-powerful. So we need to ask the Almighty for these things, to save this city, to save this son, to deliver your daughter, to cleanse this country, to win the world. That's our prayer, nothing less. It starts here in Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria. But man... It doesn't end until we reach the end of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we've got to pray. And we've got to understand that as we pray, God will answer. Nothing is impossible with God. I like what John Newton said to us about prayer. He said, thou art coming to a king. Large petitions give thee bread. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. Just bring these requests before the Lord. You know, I like what Psalm 20, verse 4, excuse me, the Lord talks to me. David's speaking. He says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Are you here today and you're going through troubling times? Well, may the Lord answer you in that day. May the name of the God of Jacob be strengthened. May he send you help in the sanctuary to strengthen the land of Zion. May he remember all your offerings. I, I like that. To me, that's like, may he hear all your prayers and accept your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you, according to your heart's desire, to fulfill all through the tour bus and, and one of the guys asked him to come in and just that this building is a huge, huge building. And he's a visible superman. Yeah, and I want to know, it's really big. It's huge. It's a, one of the biggest buildings I've seen here in Westwood. He's like, 
everything we want, and I thank him for that, you know. I don't know if you guys have ever reflected back on your prayer life, but I know I have. I look back and I think, Lord, thank you for not answering that prayer. <laughs> I remember for a while there, I was asking the Lord, and I was really, you know, man, my heart was in it. God, send me this revival, and I want to go to Chicago. I even told Shelly, there was a hidden message in the word Chicago that just says, keep us going, keep that going. But God wants us to go to Chicago, you know, and so I told her that, but now in retrospect, I'm so glad that God did that for me. I'm so glad that God has brought me to Chicago. And you know, in your life too, you know, it's so cool. You bring things before the Lord and he's not going to give us everything, but man, he is going to give us those things that are good for us. And that's what we need to have. One person put it this way. If the request is wrong, God will say no. If the timing is wrong, God will say slow. If you are wrong, God will say grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, then God will say go. In other words, man, here comes the answered prayer into your life. And it's so cool when you look at that. Undoubtedly, man, the best gift that we could ever receive today there in Luke 11 verse 13 if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him and I just really want to just mention that today to you guys man because I know as I read the Bible and as I've gone over this text man just over the years that, you know, the Lord wants to baptize us with the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. That in many ways and in many times, that's what's missing. That's why there's no fire. That's why there's no zeal. That's why a lot of times you find it hard to read your Bible or pray or even to get to church sometimes. And you're struggling and you're going through all these difficulties that really aren't necessary because we need to ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall afresh on us. That's what the Lord says. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, then he would baptize you with that power. And one guy, Samuel Chadwick, talking about prayer, and it connected me to Christianity, he said this, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. Think about that. I'm going to read that again. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil and he mocks our wisdom. But the devil trembles when we pray. 
Because when you pray and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He'll give weight to your words and He'll penetrate into the hearts of those people you love. He'll change you. He'll empower you. He'll carry you. And that's what we need in the end. Samuel Chadwick, he knew this well. When I read that quote, I was just, I was like, who is this guy? I went online real quick and I read about Samuel Chadwick and I read about him. And it said that he was zealous for Jesus, but God had more in store for him. Samuel Chadwick was born in the industrial north of England in 1860. His father worked long hours in the cotton mill. And when he was only eight, Samuel went to work there, too, as a means of supporting the impoverished family. Devout Methodists, check this out, they attended chapel attended chapel three times on Sunday. That's cool, huh? And as a young boy, Chadwick gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Listening to God's word week by week, he often felt the inner call to serve God. It seemed impossible for him because he was poor and uneducated. But by faith, he made preparation. And after his 12-hour factory shift, he would then rush home for five hours of prayer At the age of 21, he was appointed a lay pastor at Chapel Shaftesbury. It was in Lancashire. But it was no dream appointment, it says, because the congregation was self-satisfied. They they had enough giving. They didn't want more. And so there he was, this guy who threw himself in with great optimism. He'd been trained to prepare well and have the sermons all packaged in nicely. He recalled later, though, that it led to a false aim in his life. And soon his sermons were exhausted and he had nothing left. And so staring defeat in his his face and sensing his lack of power, God began to kindle a hunger inside of him for more of God. At this point, he heard the testimony of someone who had been revitalized by an experience of the Holy Spirit. And so with a few friends, he covenanted to pray and search the scriptures until God sent revival. One evening he was praying and a powerful sense of conviction settled on him and his pride, blindness, and reliance on human methods paraded before his eyes. And he humbled himself to the dust and he wrestled with God and repented. He got right and he threw his sermons into the fire and he asked God for the baptism of God used him in a mighty way. He would go speak. God just poured out his spirit. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing in our life. If that's you and you find yourself maybe struggling, maybe empty, maybe you just know in the deepest recesses of your heart that something is lacking, I encourage you today to pray and to ask God for this good gift of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. We see today as we go through our study, man, the judging, the sharing, the praying. Verse 12, uh, the doing. It says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's probably one of the most famous verses in all the Bible is called the day of the Lord. And some say Jesus was simply reiterating the teaching of past leaders of the gospel, but 
when you look at history, you see the teachings of those other individuals, the Jesus, the Stoics, the rabbis, they only presented this in a negative light. They said, fear not to others, but you would not be able to stop the fear. But Jesus here, if you look at verse 12, says, you fear not God. But he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I know that this is something that we could probably skim over, but if you can just use your imagination for a second, God really can work it in your life in many ways. Have you ever made a phone call to someone and they didn't call you back? How about you? Have you ever made a phone call? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Whether it was just respected something or have you ever been just bottom line inconsiderate. God will change our lives if we're just going to use it in a spiritual and healthy way. see with that action of agape where we're doing something that we can you know get right with our friends then God will change us it's kind of interesting the word therefore in verse 12 is balancing something therefore you know a lot of people believe that if you read over in Luke again that the Lord just finished saying that when he was out on earth and so the Lord says you're going to go someone to think of you, think of me. And then he says, go and do likewise. Bring my friendship back to you. So there's the blessing and you have communion. After all these judging and sharing and sharing and doing, you have the most important one of all, the one that I started off with, choosing. Choosing. Look what he says in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. I thank God for those of you here who have made that choice. You really have made that choice. And there you are and you find yourself in the right way and the right gate the right destination with the right crowd. You know, but if you're here today and you haven't made that choice, if you haven't gone to this narrow road, you know, the, the road that leads to destruction according to Jesus Christ is broad, it's popular, it's easy. You know, the gate that leads to destruction, you don't have to leave everything behind.
Father, as we partake of communion today, I pray that you would be that special work in your heart and in all of our hearts. I pray that you would put us on. 